Everyone knows Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication between law enforcement and the community. Over the course of the last year, we have become painfully aware of the very negative headlines national media projected across the country regarding all law enforcement agencies. Over the last several months, and after numerous investigations, we have learned that these negative headlines did not tell the whole story, but rather painted a picture designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Law Matters wants you to hear all the facts so you can decide for yourself. As these investigations conclude, these stories will be featured on our Truth Matters page on lawmatters1030.org website. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Law Matters. On the phone, we have Hal Kempfer. He's the CEO of GRIP, and he's going to give us an update on what's going on with our Wall Street journalist who's been snatched by the Russians. What's going on, Hal? Well, Sherry, uh, uh, Evan Gershkovich this week was uh, the Wall Street Journal reporter we spoke of. You know, he was incarcerated um, over a week ago, and uh, he was charged with espionage under Russian law, which, of course, like espionage or treason under U.S. law, can have some pretty serious repercussions. You know, potentially something like that could lead to, for example, capital punishment, Um, certainly a long incarceration. And... You know, all of his all of his uh, colleagues have come out and and spoken that said, "Look, he's a reporter. He was doing his job, and uh, everything." And the U.S. has come out and said, "Look, this is an unjust incarceration." And essentially, what everyone is coming out from the Western side of us is, is that he's being used as a pawn. Essentially, that they're trying to uh, manufacture a trade. One of the things in the background on Gershkovich uh, is that. Or during the course of the war in Ukraine, but certainly over the last uh, few months, Russian uh, covert operatives, Russian intelligence officers, have been rolled up in a number of countries around the world. Uh, they've had a number of their intelligence, human intelligence operations uh, shut down. And with that, uh, it appears that Putin is, is uh, trying to increase his potential for trade options. And so... Rolling up Gershkovich, uh, along with sending a signal out there that uh, I, some of his reporting, it was very, very, uh, very, very candid reporting on the problems within Russia. He recently talked about the economic problems in Russia, very straightforward, some, one of the best uh, articles I've read in a while on it. And uh, obviously great on Putin, but but beyond the fact that he was an irritant to Russia because of what he was doing is the reality is they want trade options. They want to be able to get their covert operatives back. And, and for Putin, being a former intelligence officer who ran human sources, that's a really big issue. So we're obviously very concerned. One of the things with Gershkovich is the Russians, uh, under international law, when you have a foreign national held in your prisons or jails, you're supposed to allow access to uh, what they call consular visits. Right. or diplomatic visits from the embassy. Russians have not let us visit him yet, so we don't know what his condition is. We don't know if he's well. We don't know if he's been tortured. We don't know what's going on. And so that's something we're pushing very hard on. I heard that um, a lot of Russian officials are defecting. Is that true? Uh, that's that's one way to look at it. Yeah, defecting or, or uh, getting out of Dodge. Uh, is also something we see where um, <laughs> first train out. The is like we're just gonna get out of here. Yeah, 
they've been they've been bolting left and right. Um, yeah, that's 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 true. In fact, the number of they've been leaving and being very vocal about how uh, uh, how problematic the situation is. Uh, very vocal about how problematic Putin is. Of course, the the thing that kind of that, that sort of uh, quells some of that outspokenness is the fact that they probably have family back in Russia, and they're very afraid of what Putin might do to retaliate against uh, friends and family that they have back in back in Russia. So, but with that said, number of them, um, you know, uh, Gherkin, uh, who was a former uh, head of a. Uh, our former senior commander when they took Crimea in 2014, he's got a regular uh, series of things where he's come out and just basically chastised the Ministry of Defense, chastised Putin, um, very upfront about that. But we're also seeing one of Putin's former speechwriters. By the way, all of them, pretty much all of them get, um, you know, uh, condemned, uh, you know, or, or basically found guilty of something in absentia uh, within Russia. Uh, but his former speechwriter has been talking very candidly about the, a lot of the problems dealing with Putin and what he's going through. So we're getting a lot of insights that we didn't have before in terms of his mindset and what's going on there. So, yeah, that's happening. Uh, I should also mention, though, uh, one of the things that's just uh, hit the news is, uh, as first off, the, the winter offensive by, by the Russians has really fallen flat. They have taken phenomenal losses in personnel and equipment for very, very meager gains. And the Ukrainians have put up just a, uh, a truly, a truly amazing defense all across the line against the Russian forces. And they have been, you know, as we call it, attriting. In other words, imposing attrition on Russian forces at a very high rate. And part of that is to set the conditions for their spring counteroffensive. Well, this spring counteroffensive is clearly becoming closer. All of a sudden, you've seen a lot of activity with Russians trying to figure out ways to surrender to the Ukrainians. And there's been a distinctive uptick in Russian surrenders. And, and there's, a, uh, there's a hotline that Russia, that's, being that's been disseminated out there for a long time where you can actually call them. It's like a call center, and you go, hey, I'm sitting here in a hole, and uh, I'm, I'm realizing that this is not good. How do I exactly surrender with you? And then they're like the, uh, you know, the helpful Honda got Hanna man or something. <laughs> you know, wow. they go up here and do this and do this, and and then if they negotiate, say, can I bring my tank with me and surrender that? <laughs> and they work out an arrangement. And it's very interesting, you know. It's like we could get you a deal today on that. Sure, you bet. And uh, so, so that's going on in the background, which. Tells you the psychology of troops on the line. That's why I'm. I'm I mean, I mean, people may say um, I was. You know, people were saying I was a little optimistic when this war kicked off. They said uh, you're not seeing them collapsing right away, and I said no, I'm not. And I said if I if they're going to collapse, then the Afghan national government is still in charge of Afghanistan, and obviously that's not true. Will to fight is such an important element in, yeah. in conflicts and 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 war. The Ukrainians have a will to fight. And uh, and they're and they've been showing it every single day, but in the spring counteroffensive, I see that the will to fight the Ukrainians, but also if you, if the Russians are are trying to surrender in, in increasing numbers, that kind of gives you an idea of the psychology and the staying power of those Russian forces on the line. So 
Yeah, no they're way. not fighting when, for something they believe in. They're they're thrown out there to do something, somebody else's dirty work, and it's just not setting right. Absolutely, and I, I do see a situation where uh, when the when the Ukrainians do a breakout, and I do think they they definitely are gonna, it won't be across a broad sector, but a very narrow sector. They do a breakout, you could see that entire sector uh, kind of collapse because of uh, basically because of that psychological impact, which is. Oh my, the Ukrainians are far behind us. They're not going to stay and hold. They're going to, you know, like we saw in Kharkiv, they break and run. I want to, and, uh, I want to ask you about um, this information that was leaked out of the Pentagon. What, what's going on with that? And it was it really leaked or is that just a rumor? Well, there's a lot of documents in there. You know, as of last night, uh, it looked like they were mostly secret level. And there's different levels of, uh, of, of different classified information. Uh, this, uh, but I saw this morning that at least one of the documents, and presumably more, were actually top secret. Uh, it's not quite clear what happened. The Pentagon's investigating it. Uh, the D- U.S. Department of Justice is also doing an investigation on this. Um, clearly, some of the documents were, were doctored. They were, uh, somebody went in there and, and changed the numbers to make it look like a lot less Russians have been killed and a lot more Ukrainians have been killed. So somebody's so, spreading propaganda. Yeah, and, and you'll find that the Ukrainians are saying that this is disinformation. Although a number of looked at it says it looks like there actually were some real documents in there, and even the doctored documents are doctored from something. Uh, so there's a really big concern, which is how do they get them and where do they get them? And that's one where there's a big, you know, very large counterintelligence investigation We're looking at all the documents to try and figure out where those documents could have been compromised across the board. However, uh, I will say that as of this morning, uh, you know, it's been a lot of talk, and there was even speculation. They said, well, maybe the Ukrainians had put this out, and this is part of a disinformation thing to, uh, you know, to deceive the Russians as to their actual disposition. And, and truth is, in, in warfare, uh, sometimes, like with Normandy and all the things that were done back in World War II, disinformation uh, or, or strategic or operational deception is a part of warfare. Yeah. And so I can't rule that out. But as of this morning, most are saying, kind of looks like the Russians. And the reason why is because it really does look like the Russians did it. Now, the question is, how did the Russians do it? And that's what we're trying to figure out. We have another Edward Snowden. It's, I mean, it's possible. I, I don't know. Some of it looks like uh, somebody may have got in and done screenshots um, and maybe taken pictures, screenshots as if they had a separate camera looking at a screen or something. We've just got to figure out how they got in there. And, and, or how, and then it could be, you know, could be an Edward Snowden or, or worse, you know. Um, but we just don't know. It could be an Aldrich Ames situation. But, again, you look at the, the – uh, the the milieu of documents out there you try to figure out what they're saying and not all of them are on ukraine some of those documents we're talking about our our assessments on iran and china so it wasn't just the war in ukraine so we're really trying to figure out what happened there but there's a lot of documents that that are that are out and there's a big concern that there's a lot more i mean we've seen about a hundred as of last night was about a hundred i think it's more today but there's a fear of, well, maybe there's potentially thousands of documents. Wow. They, they just don't know. Well, it's, it's, it's bad, whatever it is. It's not good. It's not good. 
So, well, yeah. I appreciate you coming on and giving us an update on what's going on, and hopefully, we find out who who leaked the documents out of the Pentagon because that's scary very stuff. much. Hope so. So, yeah. Happy well, Easter, thanks, All right, Happy Easter. All, All right, right, take, take care. care. Okay, in the studio we have Kevin and Josh. They are with the Tucson Crime Free Coalition, and. I thought you guys were working with the police department. Isn't that where I first met you? We're working with I'm, everybody. That's where I first met you, I know, <laughs> Josh. Um, there. Tell me what the name of the meeting is that the police department holds, because that's the only one I've been to. Uh, so that, that meeting is over at the Miracle Mile substation. It's uh, an AZ Orca meeting, in, and that is in regards to organized retail crime. And so that was the meeting that, that we first met you at. And that's that's the ORCA acronym. Mm-hmm. Correct. So, and when I was at that meeting, I was really impressed because all these people came from all these different um, retailers and some other people like me, nosy people. And they were passing around information, photographs, and, you know, this person did this. Does anybody have the name for this one? And they'd have a picture. They were sharing information, which, you know, is really good Critical. when you're trying to fight crime mm-hmm. and there was um, one person there representing a different company who would gather this information and then create a file correct that could go to court and hand it to the prosecutor here's this person here's what they've done this is their mo here's photographs of them in action and you know go to trial with something that's really a good case to get somebody prosecuted and put away. Mm-hmm. So tell me, when did you start Tucson Crime Free Coalition? Who's the founder? <laughs> um, uh, I, I got, uh, back in back in uh, June, um, I started asking questions. Last that, year? Last year, June, okay. of, June of 22. I started asking questions. This is, this is Kevin. Um, I... Um, and I wasn't getting answers. I was, you know, I basically. Who were you asking? I was asking city council. I was asking the mayor. I was asking um, the board of supervisors. I was asking anybody I could ask. Um, and what I found was that there was no organized approach to dealing with crime in Tucson and uh, people. Uh, defecating in washes um people were in danger in the washes that that's what really got me started because we um we had a a a problem with a uh an encampment in our neighborhood and people were getting things stolen um off their off their front porches uh people were living in this squalid uh dangerous wash and it was going to be monsoon season and you know i reported it to the city and they were like oh uh hmm Oh, yeah, we'll take a look at that. But then I would talk to officers, you know, because I went to other meetings that that were associated with that, and they would say, "Yeah, we're not allowed to go do down there, go down there, and 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 um, evict them anymore. You have to send this over to our special team." And then there was no there was no feedback to their special hot team. It was called the homeless outreach team, um, but they, it was like sending information into a black hole. So. These encampments were in the washes. That was is that the what I saw on the news when they said these people got flooded. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's monsoon season. It, it's coming. You, yeah, you need to move. You need to move. <laughs> you know, and they weren't moving them. Well, these are adults. That's a choice. 
I'm going to live in the wash. Yeah, but it's but it's <laughs> against it's against city code to live in a wash. I mean, we're we're not enforcing our own laws, so that's what actually really got me going. Is is how how can you not enforce your own laws? I mean that that that's insane and put people in danger. Um, so what ended up happening was um, it fell on deaf ears, and I was uh, connected uh, with Josh Jacobson sitting next to me, my my brother. <laughs> my brother my in, in non-crime <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and uh through jan lesher um who because i sat down with jan lesher and 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 asked her jan you know what's going on and she says you know we got nothing everybody's everybody's uh doing their own thing and no one's talking to each other and we don't have a plan she was painfully uh honest um, and she she brought us together um, and said, "You guys need to talk to each other." So out of that grew um, the crime Tucson Crime Free Coalition, and that was started last year in June. So it's in not June. even a year old. No, not even a year old. So it's an organization. It's not a nonprofit, right? Because you can't get we, that done in yeah. 12 we are months. we are we are uh, not organized in any official capacity other than our our will to try to improve the city, and uh, we have no budget. Neither do I. <laughs> I'm so sad. So, okay, so you're not a nonprofit. You are organized. You have to be a member to go to these meetings. Where do you hold your meetings? So what what actually ended up happening after Kevin started having these conversations with the county is we, we added another steering leader to our, our committee here. So we've got Kevin Daly, who's a software em- engineer, Josh Jacobson in the restaurant business, and then we have Monica Carlson, who is in the heating and cooling business. In September of last year, we held a large town hall meeting where roughly 300 people showed up to voice their concerns about fentanyl and crime in our community. Where'd you hold that? It was at the Ellie Town Center, and we had nearly all of our electeds in attendance, either physically or virtually. And our hope was, after 300 people came together and voiced their concerns about these very serious issues on our streets, that the electeds would get the message and come up with a cohesive plan. That did not occur, so we formally created the Tucson Crime-Free Coalition. As you just heard, we have no budget. We are grassroots. We are a bipartisan organization. And since September of 2022, we have grown the coalition to over 3,500 members. The only thing that we ask... They don't pay dues. They do not pay dues. The only thing that we ask our members to do is go to TucsonCrimeFree.com. You can read all of our newsletters... Kevin has done an amazing job of chronicling our newsletters from the very beginning. So you can see everything that the Tucson Crime-Free Coalition has been advocating for, what we have accomplished, and what we are working towards. People can then just enter in their their email address, which will then get you our once-per-week newsletter sent to you. Don't worry, Jimmy. We do not share your email. We keep everything (laughs) secret. We're not going to spam you. But it is very important because this is the way that we communicate with citizens in the community. We bring you up-to-date information about policy, fentanyl, crime, and our very, very important calls to action. Our strength comes from our membership. Uh, we, We have regular meetings each week with Pima County Administration. Our best partners on this project have been uh, uh, Supervisor Sharon Bronson, Supervisor Steve Christie, County Administrator Jan Lesher, and Deputy County Administrator Steve Holmes. 
We're also working with Dr. Garcia at, at Pima County, as well as we just recently had a meeting with Teresa Colon because we are bringing... Who's that? Teresa Colon is the head of the, the Pima County Health Department. Okay. And the reason this is important is because uh, one of the one of the areas that we're advocating for is to use the opioid settlement money. Many of your listeners probably All know. All of it. <laughs> All, All of, it. of the opioid settlement money. Directed directly towards the reduction of fentanyl and crime in our community. We want to make sure... That's that what it's supposed them. to be used for. That's, That's what it's what supposed we- to be used for. Right. But there's lots of places it can go. So, um, And that money flows through the health department. Okay. You also send out... You keep people appraised of what's happening as far as voting goes mm-hmm. and to voice your opinion what about this tax thing that you I, you sent it out a week or two ago and said okay talk about the tax thing josh <laughs> okay uh you're you're referring to the, the increase free, the free buses yeah okay the free, bus the free buses yeah okay. i'm thinking of the other tax thing that they want to increase our taxes go ahead um, free, free so bus the, the the free bus fare is um, not so, free. nothing's free. Yeah, that's nothing's right. free. Well, it's it's very easy to say to the listeners: there is no such thing as a free lunch. There is no such thing as a free bus fare. And that was started during COVID, right? Correct. So during during it, the pandemic, the city, the mayor, and council stopped charging uh, for people to ride the city buses. Why? Well, because you can't get get COVID inside of an enclosed city bus. No, well, actually, the reason they did it was because they were He's flush. Being snotty. Yes, yeah. I am. They were flush with free money from the federal government. They got forty-eight million dollars in COVID money, and they decided. It, and to, they didn't fix the streets. No, mm. but they decided to uh, make the bus free mm-hmm. um, and to, to offset the uh, the fit, what the yeah. Well, I can see all kinds of things going wrong with that that scenario. So, you sent out an email to everybody that's in your. 3,000 mm-hmm. plus and ask them to respond to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Tell us why this is a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea just in general, but explain to the listeners because it's coming up again in May. Correct. So we want everybody to know about this. So explain that. Well, so just, just to start off, um, it's bad policy that the mayor and council is trying to push down. Really what they're, what they're essentially doing is they have to make up a, a $9 million shortfall in free fares that are, that are not currently being collected. So that the way that they're looking at going about doing that is imposing taxes and levies on our businesses and citizens in the community. So again, when we say there is no such thing as a, a free bus ride, there, there really is not because they're talking about, uh, charging taxes on commercial parking, charging more at meters downtown. They're talking about charging higher utility taxes. They're talking about charging a higher tax on motel and hotel bed tax surcharges. And their, their most aggressive ideas are even getting a law changed so that there would be a mileage tax on people that drive in our region. So you can see that this is extremely prob- problematic. If, if we have not learned anything as a country in the last couple of years with all of the government money that has been flowing through, we pay for it one way or another. So, so um, we are taking a position of there are a lot of people that ride the bus. We have the data. Kevin has a stack of data in front of him that are being subsidized to ride the bus. And if you are in a financial hardship, you absolutely should be 
you know, falling into that criteria. But there's a lot of people that don't fall into that criteria. It should be a free blanket. It should not be a free blanket. There should be some accountability. You should, you know, be able to provide information showing that you're in the hardship so that you can get that that um, help that you need. That benefit. Now, the other, the other part behind uh, the bad policy and our need to help individuals in our community that, that, you know, legitimately deserve it is that it, the bus is also spreading crime in our community. And this, is, um, this has been a point of contention that the mayor and council have pushed back on. But what we know that factually is happening, and we, we have done a lot of work in this area. Uh, our team has been on the bus uh, repeatedly. We've talked to many, many bus drivers. We've conducted essentially an investigation, which is the way that we run all of our work in the Tucson Crime Free Coalition. Do you Coalition. wear sunglasses? Uh, Kevin actually put a blanket over his head. <laughs> <laughs> Don't see me, but... Well, well, you know, these questions. you know, this isn't a new topic, Sherry. Um, no, KOLD. <laughs> I, I, I can, I can. I'm going to point you directly to KOLD back on um, uh, May 6th of 2022. Um, did a story about crime on the city buses. It says Tucson sees crime increase in public transit. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, this is and Steve Kozalczyk is in there saying, you know, he was he was incensed with all the crime on the buses, and then at this last meeting. It was like, what? What crime? Right. What? It's like, it, I know it, people hasn't, even, used it hasn't, to hasn't even been bus. a year. I know people who used to take the bus and won't do it anymore because of being assaulted verbally mm-hmm. and physically. Uh, I, I do too. And the I know, stuff that's I going on. I know of on. two specific friends who t- took the bus and they won't do it anymore. In yeah. fact, you know, when she finally got access to a car, she jumped all over it. Yeah. You know, But she would go back to the bus because it makes sense. Um, and then uh, the Teamsters. The Teamsters issued a letter to the city council back on May 1st of 2022 at the same time saying, you know, Our what, guys what, are the getting assaulted. what the heck, we're yeah. getting beat, we're getting, we're getting creamed. Yeah. So with that information, we know that this is still occurring because we're still talking to these contacts. And then Sherry, as you mentioned, it, that you have been to the organized retail theft meeting that is held at the Miracle Mile TPD substation where... All of these uh, entities are essentially creating cases and sharing information. And a large portion of the conversation is the way that with organized retail theft, people have become smart enough to know that they can simply walk out of a big box store, a convenience store, a business with merchandise. Jump on a bus. Jump on a bus. And they are slowly moved out of the area and they don't need to move fast because we don't have enough officers to respond to well, these, I know, these I know the cuts. chief is, is hiring and doing what he can to increase sure he is. what's going on and I know that officers are being trained in all these different areas so we can't say oh it's Chad's fault, it's not Chad's fault no, nobody is saying that it's Chief Kazmar's fault and by the way we, we have a great relationship with Chief Kazmar as well as many frontline TPD officers that give us all kinds of information and we go out and we do ride-alongs with the officers and you know what, what the listeners need to know is that we are extremely short-staffed on officers. And what they are doing when you're out in a car, they are going from the most critical call to the most critical call. So They're assaults, not patrolling. They don't have time yeah, to patrol. Yeah. Assaults, domestic violence, you know, anything that is really serious is going to take a much higher precedence over 
theft. Well, anybody out there who wants to be a law enforcement officer, their schedule is on our website, mm-hmm. lawmatters1030.org. Go to the events page and scroll down. You'll see their entire schedule, when you can apply, what you should do, mm-hmm. and make it happen. Yeah, and we uh, we also advocated heavily uh, starting in December, right before the holidays. We we included in our newsletter, you know, about the the next uh, yeah, class. Yeah, absolutely. We, want- we're we're we're, we're Sitting We're on fans. your sofa and, and complaining is not going to get the job done. No. Get out there and do something. And and TPD officers, we we can't thank them enough because they support us. They they push us. They you know they really rally behind us. Um, but part of our mission statement is advocating for adequate staffing and resources for law enforcement. So we are out there, and so like you said, with all this information that's being developed with with organized retail theft, we also have the movement of narcotics around our our community that it has been very easy for people to move fentanyl from one side of the community to the next with the free bus. Uh, we're, We're also talking to different security companies that will say, yeah, we've got a problem where we've got individuals that we will eventually ban them from our business, but it doesn't it doesn't bother them because they can jump on the bus and go to the next area and they can commit crimes there. And then when they get banned from that area, they can move on. Officers are now imposing what is called area restrictions. And that's something that, that we advocated heavily for. It was a tool that law enforcement was using before the pandemic, but it went away. And that's essentially where the officers find an individual that is, you know, terrorizing essentially an, an area. And then once they're arrested, an area restriction will be put on them where they can't be within three blocks of that vicinity. If they are, they're automatically arrested again. So that gets them out of that area. But again, they've got a new mode of transportation very easily. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, back, back to what the listeners need to know about the free bus is that again, there is no free lunch. There is no free bus. And, um, it's, you know, it's causing more harm than good at this point. It was a, it was a solution when there was no problem. Okay. There was no problem with fares uh, paying to be on the bus. But they decided, the city council decided to create a solution when there was no problem. And there are situations where people are given a bus pass if they mm-hmm. de- deserve it. And but we it's support not, that. It's not it always you know, is true. a free ride for everybody. It's right. always Somebody's been true. Somebody's got to pay for it. So if people want to get involved with your... TucsonCrimeFree.com to just sign up and you'll send them the letter saying, you know, don't do this. Telling city council, don't, or the county, whoever it is, you tell them don't do that. Right. We've we've had calls to action with both the city and the county and been very successful. Okay. And then we, uh, we also work in tandem with the Tucson Metro Chamber. They sent in a letter. Uh, in regards to this matter, the Southern Arizona Leadership Council sent as well. a letter. Uh, the, the mayor and council in regards okay. to the free bus fare, the uh, Southern Arizona Leadership Council as well as well as the Arizona Restaurant Association, because all of these different entities recognize the bad policy. I think, and I'm going back probably a couple of years. Somebody said that you know being a, a drug addict is a, a victimless crime. And I think every retailer in town would say that's not true. I <laughs> know I would say that, and I don't own a store. I have I have stopped shopping in some areas of Tucson because of the homeless people have become emboldened. They verbally and physically will attack you, 
and call you names if you don't donate to them. Do you think the city should uh, have a law that says panhandling is illegal? <clears throat> well, I mean, we think so, uh, but the courts have uh, the courts have said <gasps> said that um, it's free. Uh, it's free speech up to a certain point. Panhandling up is to free a, speech? Up to a certain point. Um, it cannot be aggressive. Uh, we have implemented in, um, in, in cooperation with, with the Pima County, uh, because the city has not been willing to um, move on this. We've, uh, we've, new signs will be in place, I think it was by May 19th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to have uh, uh, signs all over the, the county. That will um, say um, say no to panhandling. Please give to a, a, an appropriate organization that supports people in need. Exactly. That's why it just it just makes me crazy when I see somebody at an intersection, somebody standing there with their homemade sign, handing somebody money. I mean, you're just encouraging. You their, just bought the you, a twenty dollar bill will buy them twenty fentanyl pills. Yeah. Exactly. So I and I know some areas of the country panhandling is illegal, mm-hmm. and if you support a panhandler, you're handing money to somebody that's illegal too. So yeah, and you know the the wonderful thing about Tucson and Pima County is we are a very generous community, and so a lot of what we're doing is trying to educate our community on how bad fentanyl is here in Pima County. It is. It's the, horrible. The listeners need to know that Pima County leads the state of Arizona in fatal and non fatal opioid overdoses. We are ground zero essentially for the United States. It, last year, Arizona, fifty percent of the fentanyl in the country was seized in Arizona. Our port here in Nogales is the busiest port for seizures in the country. Six out of ten pills on the street right now contain a lethal dose for a first-time user. It is the number one killer of youth in our community. Like Kevin said, it goes for less than a dollar a pill now. It is so cheap. It is so abundant, so readily available. And what's even more terrifying to Kevin and I as fathers our children can buy fentanyl off of social media like Snapchat and have it delivered directly to your home. Yeah, like it's candy. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Yep. There are so many creative scams going on in the Medicare industry that we at Law Matters can barely keep up. We have asked an expert in this arena to filter facts from fiction. If you have questions or concerns, please call Jimmy Stewart at 520-247-2464. He is a licensed professional who can bring clarity to the constant flux in this complex industry. That's Jimmy, 247-2464. This is Nathan Chabin, producer for Law Matters. I have a goal to reach and I need your help. I want to put the DEA out of business. That's right, the Drug Enforcement Agency. If you have an addiction problem or know someone who does, please reach out to lawmatters1030.org and click the DEA tab for more information. Reaching out is the first step. We have the resources if you have the will. You can beat this demon and help me put the Drug Enforcement Agency out of business. 
To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Law Matters Live Show opens lines of communication between you and law enforcement. On our next show, Tucson Fire Chief Riley will join our conversation. So get your questions ready and call in at 790-2040. Law Matters is asking you to help sponsor our mission by contributing on lawmatters1030.org. Every dollar counts and together we can back the blue while we keep the conversation going. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. Okay, we're back, and we're here with Kevin and Josh, and they're with the Tucson Crime Free Coalition, and we've told you what the problems are. Now let's talk about some solutions. Do you lobby at the state level at all? We're getting there. We're getting there. Yep. Are you going to take the bus? It's free. (laughs) (laughs) We we might take the free bus downtown because we do spend a lot of time at the Board of Supervisors meeting and interacting with uh, uh, city elected officials and, and bureaucrats. Yep. So what are your solutions for some of the problems that we have? Well, we believe that, you know, uh, uh, homelessness um, is uh, a symptom of crisis, right? So if you see somebody living on the street, that means that person is encountering some sort of crisis. And how we ever got to the point where we looked at that and said, oh, that's like a homeless person or, or, oh, there's a person passed out on the sidewalk, you know, that's, that's, you know, looks dead, but, oh, that's just a drug addict. How did we ever get that? Well, they passed that law that said marijuana could be legal in the state of Arizona. And we told them show after show after show, don't do it. We're going to look like Colorado. Here we are. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it's just not okay. It's not okay for people to be living on the street in crisis. I mean, what kind of humanitarian, you know, uh, attitude is that? I mean, um, so <clears throat> unfortunately, um, they are, are so many of those people are stuck in a cycle of addiction and we need to have options for them and we need to get them to those options and get them to try to accept those options this is they they have choices there's so many resources out there their drug addiction is their choice they made that and i don't feel like i should have to pay for their choice but on the same token you don't have the right because you decided you wanted to be a drug addict to we have retail stores closed because of what's going on mm-hmm. because they can't maintain their business because yes, we've, we've got, got so many so many drug addicts out there they can't that's why make it comes a to... sound decision if they're high on drugs right and we haven't we have we need to put them someplace and make exactly them get so clean. we've been advocating from the very beginning we've been working with Jan Lesher and Steve Holmes and uh, in Pima County to uh, stand up a transition center and our plan is to have this site at the Pima County Jail Annex site over on Mission Road. It's an empty building. It's a 50,000 square foot building. And then we also have pretrial services over there where when somebody gets out of jail, they can go right into this transition um, center and have a 
plethora of services in front of them so that they don't hopefully take the route of easiest of, of least resistance, which is go right back to, to where they came to where from. they came from. And so we we think we are being the most humane by holding people accountable. They all have to be held accountable. Everybody mm-hmm. from from the people in Phoenix all the way down to the drug addict and the well, and, and then the, the bottom line is, uh, you know, living a lawless lifestyle in Pima County is just not not an option to us. Um, to you, anybody, we have we have options for you. We'll have a you know our ultimate goal is to have a place for you to 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 be for tra- in a, for a transition, maybe maybe uh, and 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 uh, navigators in the for the from the faith community navigators from Pima County to help navigate people through the process. If you decide no, I just want to live a lawless lifestyle because that's just what I do. I'm stuck in the cycle of addiction. Well, you know what? We have another place for you. It's yeah, called it's the Pima County Jail. jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you are not going to continue clean. to victimize us. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. And how are you going to enforce this solution? That's a that's a great question. So, <laughs> you know, uh, Sherry, we were talking earlier about how, how holistic and hands-on we are. Essentially, what we have done is we have started at the street level and worked our way up through the system of entities that uh, play a role in crime reduction. So, again, our great relationship with the TPD officers on the street, we've identified technological issues that they have in their cars. Uh, with with printers or um, their systems where they get the information back from the station. We're advocating for that to be improved. We've identified barriers in pretrial services where they have technological issues as well. We're working on an expanded footprint for pretrial services over at the Pima County Jail as we speak. That expanded footprint would um, hopefully have the new technology as well because what is happening is is the technology in pretrial services it is not being updated and communicating with the officers in real time. So officers don't have the information in the field on individuals that are going through the system. That needs to be improved. We've got barriers in the booking department. We are extremely short-staffed on deputies. The booking department gets backed up. Officers will be in there waiting to book somebody into jail for three hours or longer. And that's unacceptable. That keeps them off of the street where we need them the most. And then we get into the court system and the legal. And then, as as Kevin mentioned, the transition center. And I really want to impress on the listeners, it is an imperative time to offer people treatment and support right when they're coming out of booking, out of jail, out of pretrial. That is when they are most receptive to treatment and support so that we keep them from going back to the lifestyle that they were living before. So this is a very, very complicated situation, as you can tell. And we have also broken our solutions down into smaller pieces. We've, we've identified a couple of them that we talked about earlier, which are, we call these smaller uh, solutions, incremental wins. That would be working with law enforcement to utilize things like area restrictions, putting the signage up on the medians to educate the public. We are also doing a lot of presentations in the community so that we can educate the public on fentanyl and crime and how devastating it is. We are, as you mentioned, um, we are also advocating on policy, like the way that the free bus plays a role into crime and, and how it spreads in our community. Um, and all of this comes together in the form of the biggest thing that we've been working on as well, which is a true regional approach to get all of the stakeholders at the table because they have been so siloed. 
the courts are not working in direct tandem with the law enforcement, which is not working in direct tandem with the prosecutors and, you know, the uh, the nonprofit services. Sherry, you mentioned that people do have options. The yeah. listeners should know that as we speak, many of the nonprofits that offer services, treatment, support, shelter, they're only operating at 50 to 70 percent occupancy. Yeah. So there is a place to take people. Yeah. It, there's a there's a message out there, but we don't have enough beds. That's not true. So how are you going to get these people? If, if This communication sounds like it's broken. This big cycle of mm-hmm. communication sounds like it has fractures here or there. How are you going to get these people into these resources when they refuse to go? You know, that's a really difficult problem, um, and it is going to require... Um, it, it might require legislation. We do have laws that compel people um, when they're a danger to themselves or others to be held. Um, when you're stuck in the cycle of addiction, maybe you do need a timeout. You know, you need a timeout to sober up. That's what they call detox, right? Um, we We need as a society to get back to realizing that, like you said earlier, these are adults. These yeah. are people who have free will. They've made a life choice. They've made a life choice. Um, did they? You know, I love, I love, I love it when somebody tells me, "Well, they didn't, they didn't grow up deciding to be a drug addict." No, but they, they are making by continuing that behavior, they are making a choice. And you know, once we hit eighteen, I mean, <laughs> you know, all of us are accountable for our actions. So where, you know. The how age can, of reason is like six or seven years old. Yeah. So, so, so you how know we, right from wrong. Yeah. We just we just can't keep loving people to death. I don't. <laughs> you know, because no, that's what we're doing. There's a movement. There's a movement in this nation. There's an attitude, and they're loving peop- these people to death. Yeah. Well, and, and, and they're that you're right. They're killing them. Because they're going to die from their addiction instead of getting help and putting them on the right track. But not track. only that, they're creating more victims. Not only the people that are they're stealing from to support their habit and the feeling that we all feel unsafe. Yeah. You know, in places where we, we can't even have our parks back. Estevan Park has been completely taken over and the city is... is um, it has signed off on it. They're funding it. They're funding our, one of our city parks... Um, as a as a fentanyl camp, I mean, we 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 visited the camp. We've sent pictures out. We show we show everybody what our city leaders are doing. Our mayor and our council have have signed over our city parks to drug addicts by not acting by not not enforcing our laws. Yeah. Well, it, it's actually worse than that, Sherry. They they're they're actually funding the encampment to exist by providing roughly eighty thousand dollars to a group that caretakes the encampment making sure that that um, there's the toilet paper in the bathrooms and, and there's toilet paper in the bathrooms for yep. for people and as a result and we we again being very holistic and hands-on we go out and we go into the encampment and steal their toilet paper <laughs> we haven't had to do that since the <laughs> pandemic <No>. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it, it is actually a very serious situation when we yeah, go through these encampments because like Kevin said, they're fentanyl camps. What yeah. does that mean? That means that when we walk through these encampments, people are smoking fentanyl out in the open. Yeah. The ground glitters because of all of the aluminum foil on the ground, which is paraphernalia for the way that you know people smoke fentanyl. The city has their homeless encampment reporting 
protocol. It's tiered one, two, and three. Tier three is the most serious, and that would be a, a camp that there's you know criminal behavior. It's it's detrimental to the community. We've talked to the people that live around these encampments. They are devastated. They can't let their kids play outside. Yeah. They're, they're getting things stolen from them. But then we also talk to the people that are in the encampment. And again, we hear all different versions of the same story. I'm stuck in the substance abuse cycle. I'm going to help get help when I'm just waiting for this to happen. You know, Why so can't they just go and turn themselves in? They can. They can. But they this can. is so what it comes down to is that they don't have the will to do it because remember, Drug addiction is a disease that's only cured by the person's will to get better. And that's where the enforcement component comes in. And you know, that's when we're breaking down. I think they were locked down. up in jail. They'd probably find the will real quick. <laughs> well, um, you know, jail, jail, like Kevin said, is an option for the hard cases that just don't want to get better. But a lot of people... And it's a hard way to get off it is. The drugs. It is. And, you know, recidivism is, it, it, it is very um, repetitive. It's over and over and over. But eventually it clicks with people. Yeah. So we're we're here to say we're offering treatment and support for those that are receptive to it, but the enforcement of our laws and prosecution for those that are not. Sherry, it's so blatant that um, last week we were at the at the fentanyl camp at, at Estevan Park and there were some uniformed officers nearby and they kind of followed us because they were looking for, I don't know, they were they were just... Looking for something. Well, they were just, you know, trying to make sure everything was safe. But um, uh, one of the officers bought, he was in uniform, and he bought meth from somebody just sold it to him right there. He, he, he just said, hey, um, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. He, he bought meth as a uniformed officer. That's how non-threatened these people are about law enforcement and they're they know that the city is not enforcing the law that they can buy so for, they can is, offer this ten dollars to to somebody and yeah or, or, or somebody did he get arrested? That a uniformed officer can offer them did he arrest him yes he did okay i've had people on here from texas to new york to california talking about bail reform and how it's failed across the country and I don't think Tucson and, you know, Arizona is any different than the rest of them. What brought on this bail reform idea and, and why are people letting these criminals out of jail? Yeah. You're you're talking about getting away from cash bail and going to threat of harm. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's that's that's a movement that's going on across the country. Chicago enacted it recently. There's been a lot of pushback from law enforcement. But, you know, the thought is, is that uh, people with money can get out of out of, uh, you know, getting sent to jail and get out of the crimes they've and committed. And people without money are stuck. And people. Yep. But but, <laughs> but, 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 you know, this is where the revolving door comes into play that the officers tell us about all the time down at the Pima County Jail. A lot of times the officers are still filling out paperwork when the individual is released. Yeah. And so, again, that's that's where we're trying to bridge the gap of how do we come to the table with an actual plan on how to attack this? The tools getting put in place so that people don't just go back to it. Is this bail reform idea, um, is it a law? Is it a pilot program? Is 
is it what is it a policy a code yeah so it's it's something that um our pima county prosecutor if you go to uh the pima county prosecutor's website uh laura conover your guest from last week she has information and her thoughts on that website but it would have to be a change at the state level for arizona i was going to say this sounds like something you need to go lobby up Mm -hmm. in phoenix yeah so we don't have it here but she makes a case for why she believes in it. It is being enacted around the country, but it has not been enacted here yet. Okay. So what's your solution to that? What are you going to do, guys? <laughs> well, remember, we are four, three volunteers. We have no budget, but we are constantly talking about what we are going to be when we grow up. So that that might be the next evolution. Either one of you want to be law enforcement? There's a opening in Tucson. <laughs> I think, we're kind of old. I think we're kind of old for that, yeah. Actually, yeah. you're not. Yeah. As long as you can pass physical, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, how about if how about if we just continue to support our law law enforcement officers? Yep. In, no, in I can see both of you in uniform. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's actually we've been accused of being cops. Yeah. <laughs> when when we go into the encampments, that is the first barrier that we have to break down with the individuals in order to get them to to talk to us, telling them we're not law enforcement, we're just here to talk to you. But I do want to remind the listeners, you know, Kevin's a software engineer. I'm a local restaurant operator. Monica's in the heating and cooling business. We do actually have real jobs. The Tucson Crime Free Coalition has just become another full-time job that we are passionate about, and we can't thank our coalition members enough. Please, if you want to join us, TucsonCrimeFree.com. And you'll get weekly updates on what's going on, and especially... A good reason to sign up for that is so you know what's being voted on yes. locally. Yes. Locally yep. and they'll keep you appraised of that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good thing. So what are your closing remarks quickly? Well, my closing remarks are um you know, free bus is not free. Um it's another it's another aspect of the crime tax that has mm-hmm. been imposed uh, without legis- you know, without any kind of legislation on our business community and our citizens. Um, it's, a, it's a crime tax that um, people are paying with broken windows, uh, uh, the theft, the organized retail theft, the closure of our stores, the, the, stores the, the, the pr- increase in prices and insurance. Um, don't forget that you know, when you live in a, a high crime area, everything goes up. I mean, all your insurance. We're all victims yeah, you're, yeah, of the um, drug addicts. Including your, probably your, even your life insurance because you live in a high crime area. I mean, you know, it's just not right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> well, I, I think Kevin hit the nail on the head. Um, thank you so much for having us, Sherry. Uh, we just really encourage the community to get involved with us. Remember, we are nonpartisan. We are grassroots. We have no budget. Our strength comes from the engagement. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the the good part about that is we're we're able to get things done because we're not beholden to anybody. Okay, I other wanna, than our coalition members. There you go. I want to tell people that we are going to be starting classes. It's called Refuse to Be a Victim, May 13th. If you want to go to our website, lawmatters1030.org, and register. Seating is limited, so you want to register for this. And it's a four-hour class, so plan ahead. It starts at 10 o'clock, 10 to 2. And until next week, we're going to have Chief Riley on next week, Fire Chief.